Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the suns get set to shine. Mary, the guy heard. Here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley. A long three. He got it. He got it. Into Booker. Here's the three. Suzanne! Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time. He got it. Joined as always by my co-host. His name is David Ash. David, what's going on, man? Not much. It's a early Monday morning here for me, Max. But we are up to episode fifty. Yeah, how exciting is that? Fifty episodes. It's 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 crazy to think about that, David. That uh, a year ago we were just starting this thing, had no idea if anybody would even listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Now we've done fifty episodes. We have, and the the listenership has steadily grown over that time, which has been encouraging for the both of us, because as you said, we had no idea if anyone was going to listen to us at the start, so 50 is a bit of a milestone. I've got a impromptu did you know question for you here, because I know just how much you love those, Max. Oh yeah, I mean, perfect for a 50th episode to, uh, to start off with one of these. <laughs> Three people have worn 50 for the Suns, can you name one of them? Did Bo Outlaw wear 50? He did not. Oh, he was like 90-something, wasn't he? It was Joel Kramer, William Bedford, and none other than Eddie House. Oh, yeah, I do recall Eddie House with the 50. There you go. But uh, I'm excited to get into this one. Mostly going to be about the draft, I'm sure, because it is right on our doorstep. I just looked up Bo Outlaw, and he is not wearing 50. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. So, yeah, this is going to be a, a fun little episode for our 50th. It's just going to be us, no guests. We're just going to have a little... A little chat between friends, basically about the NBA draft. We're gonna start off with the with the AD trade just because it's you know seismic, changes the mm-hmm. entire NBA obviously. So we're gonna start with that, break it down, uh, not just you know the trade itself and its effect on the Lakers and the Pelicans, but also how it affects the draft and uh, and the rest of the league. Because uh, David, I don't know if you heard, the the fourth pick in the draft was in that trade. It was, and that uh, is going to have some repercussions for the rest of the draft, which was probably always going to be a little bit crazy after the first three picks, but yeah, we'll get into that. It's it's going to be even crazier, and I guess we'll all depend on whether another trade gets made uh, before the draft, so we see it coming, or, or maybe there'll be something on the night, which will make it even uh, more of a worthwhile watch, I'm sure. Yeah, it's interesting because it's a boring draft, like player-wise. I think the talents are sort of boring compared to most years, but overall, the top ten I think is going to be more intriguing in the most years. Yeah, I said that the other day. I always take the day off work for the draft because it's in the middle of our day here in Australia, and uh, definitely not the most exciting class from player point of view. But really, we already know that the the reason that I take the day off is for chaos. So uh, we're probably going to get that this time around, or at least some unexpected moves, which will make it a, a more worthwhile watch. As I said, yeah, it's almost impossible for it to be uh, to go as expected because there is no as expected. <laughs> um, but before we get on, let's, let's start with the AD trade. But David, you want to give us a little recap before we get there? 
Yeah, I mean, it's been a busy week. It's it's definitely rumour season, whether it's the Suns or general NBA, Max. So I think the day we last recorded was when it dropped that uh, Brandon Clark was in Phoenix. He ended up staying for a, a two-day workout, which is essentially the maximum you're allowed to have the prospects. And then from there, I think it was the next day Sports Illustrated reported that the Suns loved my guy Culver. The same day, Wodge on his special on TV said that uh, vet point guards like Pat Bev and Rubio would be guys that the Suns would look at and that they were also very keen on Kobe White to come off the bench in their uh, draft pick choice. The next day, I think it was Gambo ruled out Dinwiddie, Ball, maybe even someone else I'm forgetting as well, just kind of knocked out all the dreams that most people on <laughs> Suns Twitter have been talking about. And uh, he also said that they were locked in again on Kobe White, which... Uh, was coupled with, I believe, no official announcement, but Kobe was in a city that was 103 degrees Fahrenheit, which you inform me, Max, there there wouldn't be too many in the NBA uh, that would be able to rival Phoenix for that kind of weather at this time of the year. No, yeah, I'm trying to think of what cities even get there. Yeah, that's, that's, that's tough to do. Uh, Vegas gets there, but not an NBA city, at least not yet. Yeah, so I think we can safely say that maybe he's the third top prospect to, to work out for the Suns. June 13th, the Sacramento Kings hired Igor. That one kind of came out of left field and was, I guess, some good news uh, in the middle of the week. And uh, a couple of days ago, uh, I think there was a, a Sports New York report or something like that, and I think they've doubled down on it recently. But, you know, the D-Lo won't actually be kept in Brooklyn if they manage to land Kyrie, and that obviously started a whole bunch of stuff with Suns fans thinking about how we could get D'Angelo Russell. Uh, Dwayne Rankin threw in there something about Hunter and Reddish, so we've pretty much had all the names linked to us, and of course, somewhere in the middle there, the Toronto Raptors won the title, Max. Oh yeah, that did happen recently, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and then, as you said, we got the Anthony Davis trade, which was the big one, Max, so I think it was 8.27am on my Sunday in Australia. What what time was it for you, and, and do you remember what you were doing when the, the AD news dropped, Max? Oh, I, I definitely remember because it, uh, I was at Father's Day lunch. We did it a little day early on a Saturday with my dad and my, my brother, who recently became a father like three months ago. Um, Congrats so, to your brother. I know he listens, if it is the brother yes, that listens to the show. It is. Yeah, I only have one brother, so yes, it is him. Uh, and go. so it's like halfway through, we're having a, a grand old time and stuff, and that, that trade just kind of bombed my brain, and I... I had like sneak on my phone the whole time. My brother will say I wasn't being very sneaky. I was just outright on my phone most of the time. <laughs> so uh, it may have, it may have slightly ruined uh, the lunch, but it was still nice. And uh, but yeah, that was fun. There we go. So yeah, Wodge dropped the bomb, and it was just AD for Lonzo Ingram, Hart, and three first. So obviously Kyle Kuzma. Uh, escaped the the move to New Orleans, which everyone was having a good old laugh about on Twitter, I thought. And then I think it was about four hours later, Tim Bontemps added the, uh, I guess, pick protections of those first, and everyone kind of lost their mind because it was the number four pick in this draft, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, what he said was a top eight protected 2021 pick that becomes unprotected in 22, a pick swap in 23, an unprotected in 24, and a further pick swap in 25. And then I think it was about three hours after that, uh, Tanya Ganguly, I'm going to say, which is probably very wrong, but she's come up on our podcast a few times now, if, if memory mm -hmm. serves me correctly, Max. But she clarified things and said, actually, it was 
kind of reverse protected in 21. So the Pelicans don't actually want the pick if it falls anywhere between 9 and 30, which you think it very likely will unless the Lakers have another disastrous season, which means they actually get an unprotected pick in what is, many have said, the double draft in 2022, Max. And then... That second pick swap in 25, I believe, has been removed. It's actually a right to defer the 2024 pick over to 2025. So I think that covers it, Max. You'll have to uh, forgive me if I've missed something while being asleep here in Australia, but I think that's the wrap-up of the Anthony Davis trade. Yeah, that's all the that's the assets going back and forth. There's another little thing we'll get to here based on the timing that's important, but yep. uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll save that for a second from now. Uh one thing I, I want to bring up before we get into the breakdown of the trade, the, the deferment, David, can you recall uh, a previous pick being traded like as a deferment this way? So I, the way it works, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that the, the Lakers uh, basically have to give the 2024 pick to the Pelicans if they decide they want it. But if they decide, eh, you know, it's a little high for us, we'd rather take our chances on what 2025 will be, we'll, we'll go there instead. Is, is that how it's going to work? Exactly, and I'm not quite sure what rules there are around when the deadlines and things for that can be. I imagine you're allowed to at least wait for the lottery and and Mm -hmm. see what the results are there before you make that decision. Maybe you can make it right up until the day before the draft. I'm not too sure. I'm sure the team's put some deadline in there so they can do the required preparation. But yeah, it's an interesting one. I can't think of a, a recent example. All I know is that it's quite often mentioned as an option amongst kind of draft nerds and people who talk about trades a lot as, as being something that teams can do. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, a GM actually getting it uh, from another team is definitely not something I can think of happening, at least in recent times. So yeah, we'll all be learning a little bit there, I think, as it comes out. Uh, and I'll probably do some digging on, yeah, what the rules are around when you can make the deadlines for that. But uh, a very interesting decision by Griffin. He's basically uh, got the the most flexibility out of these picks as possible, I think. Yeah, I, I love what he did. And so I guess let's go ahead and jump into uh, breaking down kind of what we feel about this trade. As mm-hmm. usually happens with major NBA trades, uh, I thought that the nuance was completely lost all over the place on Twitter. Um, <laughs> you either had to become a, you know, the Lakers got AD, oh my god, what a huge win for them guy, or you to become a, oh man, the Pelicans totally fleeced the Lakers guy. Yeah. I think what happened here was the Lakers, the Lakers, you know, got the guy they needed to get, they were desperate to get, and they kind of had to get, and they blatantly overpaid for him, so it was, it was both. And the Pelicans, you know, kind of won across the board here. Uh, well, except for they didn't get Kyle Kuzma, who apparently David Griffin <laughs> wanted more than anybody else. Um, <laughs> but I think the number one thing people are overlooking here, at least the the, the, the you know the Lakers won people. Uh, certain people on Twitter today were talking about how you know the Lakers will forever dominate the Suns forever because of this trade. I guess is the point being made by certain people. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of downside risk here. LeBron had his first significant injury ever last year. He he, he literally did break down for a little while. And uh, he's only getting older, man. He's going into his age 35 season next year. If he has health issues or Davis has health issues, who, you know, well chronicled Davis's health issues, they're not a lot to win a title or even be in the West Conference Finals or anything like that by any means, especially given the lack of cap space, which we'll get to. Uh, and Anthony Davis has already said he's going to test free agency after this year, no matter what, which, you know, he's going to say anyway. <laughs> but if this goes horribly, I, I don't think there's a non-zero chance that Davis leaves. After one year, if, if LeBron gets totally hurt, it just doesn't work. And the, the amount the Lakers gave up in this trade, that would just be the one of the all-time NBA disasters. That would be next-level stuff 
if that happened. Yep. And I think people yep. are totally overlooking that possibility. Yeah, I think LeBron has a player option in his last year as well. So, you know, I don't... I You know, I think when these deals get made, a lot of people jump to conclusions that there's, you know, going to be a, a secret deal that Davis is going to sign long-term right away. Uh, and no matter what happens, he's going to feel like he owes the Lakers because of this. And it's just, it, it's not that league anymore. Players mm-hmm. run the league, agents run the league. So, yeah, I def- definitely don't think it's kind of a defeatist attitude that the Lakers are going to uh, own our conference and division forever. I think it sets them up really well for the next couple of years, all things going right. And, you know, as a LeBron James fan, I'm kind of excited for next year in a way. I think he's kind of got his redemption redemption with, uh, you know, maybe his last prime year, if that's not already been. And it's a wide open league with what we saw happen to the Warriors, which, you know, I didn't mention up in my news section at the top, but obviously things are pretty wide open with the injuries uh, even before free agency for them. Uh, for the NBA next year. So that's going to be fun. But yeah, I think longer term, you know, LeBron's not getting any younger. uh, And we've already seen with Anthony Davis, although the Lakers are going to have, you know, a lot better time in free agency than I guess somewhere like New Orleans. uh, We've seen Davis be the centerpiece of a team that was hamstrung by not having picks and cap space and things before. So yeah, it's definitely not that the the Lakers are going to just dominate the conference, you know, for all of Devin Booker's career, for instance. I think, if anything, it just shows that kind of sit back for the next couple of years, build the right way, and and like we were discussing probably earlier in the year with the Warriors, uh, you know, you wait for your chance uh, when it's a little more likely with the players that you have in your prime. Yeah, and I mean, when this first when this trade was first reported, I thought it, it did seem like a really uh, a win-win, for sure. Because yep. before we figured out everything the Lakers gave up, and the reason I, th- I still think, in a lot of ways, it's it's a win-win. But I think what we talked about this last night: did the Lakers really have to give up all that stuff? Who are they bidding against? It kind of feels like they're bidding more against time than against other teams. They they needed this trade to happen now. They decided, like, we're not letting yeah. you string this along anymore, David Griffin. We want this trade to happen right now. We're going to make this deal so appealing to you that you have no choice but to make it today. That's what it feels like to me. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think they felt the pressure of not getting it done at the deadline. Obviously, some front offices had changed on either side, which gave them the kind of impetus to to get the deal moving again. And as you said, the Lakers certainly felt more pressure or more perceived pressure than someone like David Griffin, who was keeping his cool through all of this and was certainly in no rush to get a deal done if it didn't suit him. So, yeah, I think my only point with it really is I think it is a win-win for what both teams needed and what direction they're both going in. But I think the Lakers gave up too much. I think there's always going to be that leverage argument with this deal. Uh, Reportedly, Boston weren't even close to including Tatum. Uh, New York were pretty much out. There wasn't really anyone coming out of the woodwork here. So, you know, I've been harping on about it with Landry Shamit in the Tobias Harris deal. You know, you just got to ask you a question. Was the deal really not going to get done if you held Mm -hmm. out on a guy like Landry Shamit or if you held out on that, you know, deferment or one of the pick swaps or something like that? And I think the answer is no. I think if you held court, you'd eventually get David Griffin to take the deal because it was probably the best deal on the table. But the other thing we probably need to talk about is the the drama that is the NBA and how you couldn't script these things any better if you tried, Max, because the luck of what happened in the lottery, both on the Pelicans and the Lakers side is, along with the front office changes, essentially what gave these teams a chance to do this deal, which is just nuts. 
It's totally wild. Uh, I, I can't believe the fortune that the New Orleans Pelicans have had with this all this stuff. It's just, it's insane how their uh, franchise has turned around. And we'll get to them in one second. I want to make one more point on the uh, on the Lakers thing, and that's yep. that. So if you if you overpay to get the timing in your favor, like you really need him now, and that's that's what you're doing here. Why did they not make it so that they're going to have more cap space? So this is the thing we alluded to earlier. They agreed to make this trade on July 6th, right after the moratorium ends, rather than July 30th, I think is the other date that they could have waited to. When if they mm-hmm. would have done it that way, they would have had significantly more cap space because they would have been able to uh, sign the number four pick and trade him as part of the trade, include his salary, rather than just trading the pick, which carries no salary. Yep. So basically, instead of having in the low 30s million cap space, you know, max level cap space, they're going to have like 23 to 24 million. That's not enough to get a third big banana unless someone takes a giant pay cut, which I, don't, I just don't, no one does that anymore, so <laughs> I don't see that <laughs> happening. But, uh, you know, because initially all the reports would be that they're going to get Kimball Walker uh, as part of this. I love that. Yeah, they're the favorite to me if they get Kimball Walker on this team, but 23 million is not going to get Kimball Walker. He can make like 40 with the, <laughs> the Hornets or whatever it is. So I, yeah. I just don't see that at it's... all. So my, my question, and this kind of plays into my the Lakers rush this thing. How do they not think about this? Is Plinka just completely and totally incompetent? Or did the Pelicans really play hardball despite all these extra things the Lakers included? Pelicans were unwilling to make that July 30 call. It just seems impossible for me to believe that. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think it's a great point that you bring up because it's something I've thought about with James Jones quite a lot. Uh, having Trevor Buckstein with him, mm-hmm. uh, having Jeff Bauer in the back of the front office. There are a lot of little things with the CBA and the salary cap that you know inexperienced GMs just can't remember. And I think there are a lot of clues here that uh, Palenka maybe just didn't think of some of this stuff. Because I, mm-hmm. you know, I even saw a lot of stuff on Twitter this morning about how there's really no official report on whether this deal can be pushed to June thir- uh, to July 30, sorry, uh, and that the teams are essentially didn't have an agreement, which, you know, I saw a lot of maybe Lakers fans last night trying to justify one of the extra picks that they threw in there as almost payment to make the deal when the Lakers wanted to make it. But publicly, at least from what we're seeing, there was no deal made around making it at a time that suited the Lakers other than it being July 6 after the moratorium, but with a little bit of ambiguity on whether that can still be moved or not. So yeah, it's kind of a little bit all over the place. And then there's the Davis trade kicker, which, you know, every big, every big trade that we've seen in the last 12 to 24 months, the player coming in has waived the trade kicker to help the team that they're coming to either with a tax situation or maybe a possibility to sign someone else if they get rid of that little bit of extra payment. And from what we're seeing, Anthony Davis is saying, nope, I want my extra $4 million for being traded, uh, even though it was a trade that I wanted anyway and forced my way out of the team, which is not exactly why trade kickers get built into contracts in the first place. So yeah, that is all a bit of a disaster as far as I'm concerned. That, it's just bizarre, especially given that Rich Paul and LeBron obviously architected this whole thing, and now Davis is not willing to wave the trade kicker when they force it. It's just bizarre. It's just weird, really, really weird is. to me. Um, yep. Let's move to the oh, – actually, no, one more point on that, uh, and I saw the circulation this morning. I thought it was really interesting. So the number four pick, and we'll get to the Pelicans on this in a second, whether they make this or they, or they trade it. But yep. the, the problem is either way – it's really hard to convince them or the team acquiring the number four pick to, to wait until July 30th to make this trade because then you can't play your number four pick in Summer League. Yep. And uh, Brendan Clean made the great point that maybe if it's Garland, it doesn't matter as much because he, he probably won't play Summer League anyway. 
But the other guys, I mean, <laughs> you really want to make the number four pick, say it's Culver, and then you can't play him because he's technically not on your team under official league rules. Like, that's not particularly appealing. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, obviously it's only my opinion, but any team moving up, whether it's the Suns or anyone else, I think Culver is the guy that, well, and pretty much the only guy that I would move up in this draft for at, at number four. That's obviously just my opinion, as I said. But yeah, if, if my team did that and then he couldn't play Summer League, I'd be pretty pissed <laughs> off. So, and, and as you said, there's just no reason for that third team. They're not going to get any compensation for doing that, likely. Uh, there's just really no reason why they'll say, yeah, sure, Lakers, we're going to do you a huge favor by holding out on this trade until July 30. It, it just literally makes no sense so I think we're going to see this trade for better or worse for the Lakers kind of processed after the moratorium on on July 6 max my favorite result would be if the third team they have to make them part of the trade and then send them Kuzma as consideration to move the thing back I'd be be so happy Um, all right, let's move to the Pelican side. This will be quicker, I think, because it's just such a home run. I mean, this is they, I cannot believe how much value they got for Anthony Davis. I mean, it's probably like a dollar to dollar trade, which never happens with uh, mm-hmm. you know unhappy superstar trades. So absolutely great for them. Uh, shout out to our friend Chris Koffel for what I think is the best idea for them uh, going forward, which is to try to go get Beal with some of these assets yes. because Bradley Beal, Drew Holiday, and Zion Williamson would just be. Absolutely incredible. That's that's a great current team and also a great long-term foundation with Beal and Zion together. So, yes, mm-hmm. go do that, please. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know what your take is on this, but it's, it's kind of hard to have a take other than, wow, David Griffin, you got a lot for this trade. Yeah, and he's kind of built to go in any direction that he wants here, and that's kind of the intriguing thing when I look at it from the Pelicans' perspective is, you know, we've seen a lot of reports about how he wants to compete uh, straight away and, and build this team uh, or not rebuild this team from scratch. But, you know, it, it's still a big question for me because with all these assets that he has, obviously he can make a big move, whether it's for someone like Bradley Beal. And there's enough there with Drew Holiday, Zion, and a few other pieces, depending on what gets kept, um, to be a decent team in the West. But they could go young as well. And, you know, mm-hmm. I would probably go in that direction. I obviously don't have the pressure of ownership and things like that. But, you know, being able to use that pick four on someone like Culver, having all those assets, even probably not right away, but maybe dealing Drew Holiday at the deadline or something like that for a, a, another great deal when a team is desperate. I just think Griffin, rather than competing right now and maybe losing some of these assets straight away, I think he could really set this franchise up to be the Lakers or the Warriors in five or so years that are just dominating because of the young core that they've all got together around Zion Williamson. And that's the key here. A lot of smart people brought this up around Luca last year. It's once you decide that you've got that franchise player, it's so much easier to then pick and choose who you want around them and build the team appropriately. So now that they got that luck of landing Zion, it it is going to be interesting to see which way Griff goes with this. What what do you think they're going to do? Well, first I want to say, I think you made the key point earlier when you used the word flexibility. They just have so much flexibility now. There are a lot yeah. of different things they can do. They remind me sort of like the Boston Celtics of a few years ago in terms of like the, the assets they have now and, and also having quality players in the roster. Like I just think that they're going to have a lot of things they can do. So hopefully David Griffin can steer it a little better than it looks like Danny Ainge has. But uh, we'll <laughs> see. It, it'll be interesting. I, I think I would, if I were them, I would, I would try to package the four pick and an Ingram, if that would be enough to go get Beal, that's probably what I would the, the value I would try to give up. I would want to keep mm-hmm. those future picks and stuff because I agree that that's, that's the kind of real flexible stuff you have. The four pick here, 
it's tough. Like I don't really like. I think Culver is a decent fit for what they're doing. And mm-hmm. you also like Culver a lot more than I do, so I understand why you just want to sit there and take him. But for me, yeah. there's not a lot of obvious fits for them at number four, and I'd, I'd rather go get somebody like Beal who's still young and can be part of their future while also being good right away. Because if there's one thing that I've learned of my last few years of Suns fandom, it's that going all out youth totally can sometimes be not as fun as it seems. <laughs> It'll be. <laughs> uh, and so it might, it might be nice to kind of balance the roster out a little bit. But uh, yeah, if they stay at four, I think Culver's really the only guy, I guess Culver or Hunter, if they're high on him, who kind of makes sense to me. I, I guess you could go like Kobe White or Garland if you want to try to build long term with them. But mm-hmm. that, that's not what I do. I think they're going to trade the pick. Um, and I think that the rumor that came out today, I don't know if you saw this one. This one may have been while you were asleep, but the rumor that the that the Suns and the Bulls, one of the teams I think is what the rumor was, it's definitely the Bulls if this is true, uh, is trying really hard to get number four. Uh, sort of like a Trey Young, Luca type trade where they give a future protected pick for it. Um, and yep. really to go up and get Garland is the idea. Uh, and I think that makes a lot of sense, the Bulls going to get Garland at four and, uh, and giving a, another pick to do that because I, I think New Orleans can get the number seven pick and another another asset would be would be really good. As long as it's not the Suns, Max, as long as it's yeah. not the Suns because if I uh, caught wind of a deal like that and then it wasn't Culver and was someone like Kobe White or Garland, I, I think I might have a conniption on draft day. But uh, speculating for both the Lakers and the Pelicans here, uh, and there's a lot of speculating that needs to be done to answer this question, but that's what we're all about, particularly on this episode, Max, is putting some uh, thoughts out there to, to call back on if they happen. So where do you think the Lakers and the Pelicans finish next year in the Western Conference, uh, you know, projecting out how you expect both of them to fill out their rosters from here on? That is such an interesting question. It's so hard to know because I don't know what the Lakers are going to be able to do here. I'll say the Lakers end up like the three or two or three seed probably they'll be really good when, when they're when they're all healthy they'll be great because LeBron and Davis will be awesome but those yeah. guys will take a lot of games off probably just you know the, the term is load management now I think uh, those guys need it so that that'll, that'll probably be a decent amount of that and then I'd say the Pelicans I, I'm gonna give them the eighth seed I think they're gonna make it like a Beal type move and I think they're gonna be pretty good next season what do you think yeah, I'd, I'd pretty much agree with that. I think they're not going to be a regular season team, the Lakers. They're going to be a team that uh, tries to get, I guess, maybe home court in the playoffs, maybe finish the third or fourth seed and then really be built for the playoffs. But, you know, as we saw in these recent playoffs, depth in the playoffs these days is, is potentially even more important than the regular season. You can't be relying on too few guys. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for the Lakers. And then, yeah, the Pels, I guess it all depends on, on what they can do with these moves. But the the West is wide open and, and just one or two moves could put them up there uh, mm-hmm. for the seventh or eighth seed in the West, which will be really interesting. And it also be interesting just to see how other teams react here with the Warriors news and then this trade. You know, it's hard to see Daryl Morey just sitting on his hands. You'd think he'd be looking to make a move now that he sees a bit of an opening in the West. You know, Boston have got a lot of balls in the air in the East, but, you know, it it is kind of wide open here. So there's going to be a few teams that come out of the woodwork here in free agency, I think, which we'll obviously get to in a few episodes' time. Yep, the biggest domino here, and this is the last point I want to make on this sort of subject before we go to Did You Know? Uh, Kawhi Leonard is is really going to be the biggest uh, piece to to land this summer. Where where does he end up going? And yeah. there are now some rumors coming out, and we had LeBron James' son follow Kawhi on Twitter. We're having the ringer talking about how the Lakers and Kawhi is maybe possibly a thing. And so I have two thoughts on that. The first one is 
That would if they got word Saturday morning that Kawhi Leonard wants to go there. If they get Anthony Davis, that to me totally justifies the go and get him at all costs <laughs> mindset. Yes. However, yep. if if they ended up doing that and didn't think of the CBA thing and limited themselves to twenty three million dollars in cap space and they can't get Kawhi because of that, that's going to be quite the disaster. So it's interesting to me. I I don't know if I buy it or not, but I find it fascinating and I think it would explain the rushed feeling nature of the trade. That's probably a great way to finish this section off. I think we can't really ju- judge this trade until we see what the Lakers do in free agency. And, and obviously there's some uh, downfalls with the way that they've done it here to, to limit what they can actually do. But yeah, if they fill out a, a great roster that's a real competitor in the West, then yeah, maybe you can justify some of those extra picks that they made. But uh, reason to be a little bit skeptical based on what we know right now, Max. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen or anything, but I will say if they had Kawhi, LeBron, and AD on the same team, that would be really something. It would kind of just bum me out because I wanted that team to go up against the full-strength Warriors, not the yep. KD and, and Clay less Warriors and KD maybe even on another team. So we never quite got that really great competitor for the Warriors, although some would argue it was the Raptors who won the title. But uh, you are well much on record uh, with <laughs> your thoughts on whether the Raptors would have beat the Warriors at full strength, Max. <laughs> yeah, I went a little ham on that one. Uh, <laughs> all right, David, how about a little bit of did you know before we get to the more Suns-focused section? All right, Max, I want to start this week's Did You Know segment with a shout-out to a friend of the pod, Stephen Freeman. As you know, we haven't done a proper Did You Know for a while, and roughly two weeks ago when Mark Stein tweeted about possible Suns assistant coaches, Stephen said this, Excited for the segment the four-point play does on the seven seconds or less pod detailing how all of these coaches were once players traded for a pick that later became a guy that the Suns traded for. So, Max, I know you reacted. I know you reacted to that tweet at the time, so you can't say that you didn't have full warning to do a little homework when this moment came. But first test for you here. There were five new possible Suns coaches listed in that Stein tweet, all of which I don't believe have officially been announced for the team, but can you name any of the five? Oh, man. Uh, I know Willie Green's been mentioned. Was he in there? That was one. Okay. Um, God, this is bad. I probably should know that, but no, I cannot recall other names. All right. That was Willie Green, as you said. Steve Blake, Mark Bryant, Randy Ayres, and Darko Rajakovic, which someone is going to say that I pronounce that extremely badly. But Max, did you know three of the five played in the NBA? And there seems to be a push by Monty Williams to get ex-players on his staff. Given this is a draft episode, I'll go in reverse order of where those three were picked. Last was Willie Green, the 34 the 41st overall pick by the Seattle Supersonics. Then there was Steve Blake, who was 38 overall by the Washington Wizards. Interestingly, they were both taken in the 2003 NBA draft, which of course had a guy we just spoke about quite a bit on in LeBron James as the number one overall pick. A million points for you if you can tell me this one, Max. Who did the Suns take at 17 in the 2003 NBA draft? The 2003 NBA draft. And if I'm getting that many points for it, it must be really obscure. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to be able to get a million points. 
It was, of course, Zarko Chabakapa. Ah, of course. (laughs) But that leaves Mark Bryant, who was taken by the Portland Trailblazers at number 21 in the 1988 draft. Unfortunately, I can't quite live up to Stephen's challenge of a mega trade sliding doors moment. But what I can tell you is that Mark Bryan is the only one of the rumored new assistant coaches to ever have played for the Suns. And like the Anthony Davis New Orleans trade that has just come, he came to Phoenix when the Suns traded away their superstar big man to a Western Conference rival. That was when a 32-year-old Charles Barkley was traded to the Houston Rockets for Mark Bryant, Sam Cassell, Robert Horry, and Chucky Brown in 1996. And of course, four years earlier, a 28-year-old Barkley was traded to the Suns from Philly for Jeff Hornacek, Andrew Lang, and Tim Perry. Max, two pretty big trades with Barkley and not a single draft pick in sight. Hmm. Now, as for Mark Bryant's ride with the Suns and Stevens' challenge, I will end with this. While I can't quite get him all the way back to this draft, he did have quite the ride. Bryant was traded back out in a trade for Luke Longley. Longley was then traded for Chris Dudley. Dudley was traded along with Kidd for Stephen Marbury. Marbury, of course, was traded with Penny Hardaway to New York for not much at all. But there was a draft pick in there in that trade. And the Suns eventually traded that pick again for Keon Clark and Ben Handligan. The journey of Mark Bryant ends there, though, with neither Clark or Handligan ever playing for the Suns again. As for that draft pick, that was none other than current NBA player Gordon Haywood that the Suns missed out on. But Max, he was in the 2010 NBA draft, which just so happens to have two other players in it. The number two pick was Evan Turner. And the number 10 pick was Paul George. Two names that we have both used to describe the same player from this draft. (laughs) And right there is the beauty in how we all see things at the draft very differently. And Max, that's the end of Did You Know for this week. And my assist to you in jumping right into talking about the Suns draft. That was hilarious. I like how Steven makes a, a joke on Twitter and it causes you like three hours of research. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let's go to... I want to start with Kobe White and Darius Garland. Uh, I think Darius Garland, based on the reporting we got yesterday from... Uh, I think it was Jonathan Gavoni that the Suns like, kind of just are disinterested, I guess is the way to yep. put it. Would you totally rule him out as a Suns candidate? Because I'm pretty close to there. Yeah, a, a Bulls guy on, on Twitter that I'm good friends with reached out to me yesterday uh, asking this very question because I think for his team at seven, he is very interested in Darius Garland. And I said, I can't say anything for any of the teams before the Suns, but if Darius Garland is there at six, I wouldn't be afraid as a Bulls fan that they're going to lose him to the Suns. That's the easiest way that I can wrap it up, Max. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think this trade was very good for uh, a Bulls fan who wants Garland because the Lakers moving out of there because that was who they were, may have picked because of the whole clutch connection. Uh, yeah, I think I think Garland now is more available, and I think maybe even in a trade with New Orleans. We'll get to my prediction there in a second. But uh, mm-hmm. I want to focus on Kobe White. That I just want to get Garland out of the way because it was the point guards. Kobe White is very much in play for the yes. Phoenix Suns. Um, I, I, so I've, I've been trying to watch him a lot even more uh, than I was before because he's one of the guys that I scouted pretty closely but I, I, you know, now that the Suns might actually take him I wanted to really focus in on him mm-hmm. here's what I'll say about him 
I I think I, my 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 analysis before still stands. I think he's more of a backup point guard long term. I think he probably always will be. What I will say though, if he works out right away, it's very unlikely. I don't think he will be really good right away. But if he's good right away, I think he's gonna be extremely fun. Like he's gonna be one of the players who's the most fun to root for in this top ten. I think you probably agree mm-hmm. with that too. I, I know you like him kind of on a personal level too. So I guess if nothing else, I've improved on Kobe White Pickett in terms of how my, my personal feelings from watching him will be on it. But uh, I yep. still don't think it's a good idea. Where, where are you on all that? Yeah, I mean, I've got him at number seven on my big board and kind of flip-flopping with Darius Garland. Those two are very mm-hmm. tied together for me. I found it very hard to separate both of them. Not that they're very similar players, but I just find that their strengths and weaknesses weighed up together. It's really hard to separate them in this draft. So, you know, I can't sit back and say that I would complain if the Suns took White at six and then have him at number seven on my big board because that would obviously just be a, a huge overreaction. I'd just be more worried about taking him what the Suns uh, are kind of thinking long term because I don't love his fit with Devin Booker. He does have size, but uh, I think he's quite technically poor on defense. So I don't think he's the kind of you know size uh, wise guy next to Devin Booker that you want long term. That's going to be able to guard ones and twos and, and give Booker a chop out unless he improves dramatically on that end. He kind of you know I've watched him quite a bit too, Max, and he he dies dies on screens a lot. Uh, kind of, yeah, as I said, really bad team defender. Uh, just not a smart defender on that end other than just being gritty and, and having size and having, uh, you know, highlights on that end every now and then. But, you know, super quick, really pushes the ball. I think Suns will love him from that standpoint. Uh, gets really hot, is pretty streaky. I think if you look mm-hmm. at his overall stats versus his highlights, you'd be quite surprised um, you know, how poorly he shot overall for the season because, you know, when you see some highlights packages that people put together, myself included, you know, he has games like that one against Texas where he hit like six or seven threes and basically couldn't miss except for a, a clutch shot down the stretch when they eventually lost the game. But yeah, really high energy guy, fun guy to root for. He's got that that hair that kind of makes him a bit of a cult figure and I'm sure would make him a cult figure at the Suns. Um, and yeah, I think he's the most realistic option right now. You know, I've got a got a bit of a theory on this draft, Max, and you know, I think it's really down to three players. As much as we're going to mention some others that have been thrown in here, but yeah, you know, I think there's only three so far that we think have worked out for the Suns, and that's Culver, White, and Clark. I think Jones, in relation to I guess the previous GM McD, I think he's a bit more of a guy that just likes to keep it simple and play less games than someone like mm-hmm. Brian McDonough did. I think he's happy to be quite transparent. Um, they've obviously kept the, the workouts private as possible, but outside of that, I think he's a pretty transparent person. So yeah, I think still they're really hoping for Jarrett Culver, but pretty realistic that he's unlikely to be there at six. And I think it would be silly to even trade up for him in, in most scenarios. I think they'll be happy with White at six. And then, you know, I've got a hunch... I don't know if it's wishful thinking here, Max, but I think if the opportunity arises, there's a few little teasers that they may look to trade back and take your man, Brandon Clark. So I just wanted to get that on record in case that happens, Max. God, I hope you're right. And I actually, (laughs) I totally agree with you, and we'll get there in a second. We're going to do a little little bit of a mock draft thing, each of us, later. Just kind of where we're at, and uh, let's just preview. I, I agree with you on that. Um, but real quick, so I, I love how you set me up here because I think I think it's really interesting to, to compare Hunter, White, and Clark sort of because 
first of all, let's start with White and Hunter. I, I think mm-hmm. I think Hunter makes more sense conceptually on the Suns for a lot of reasons. He's almost big enough to play the four. Maybe he is big enough to play the four. He shoots right away. He'll play defense. There's a lot there, like skill wise, that I think makes a lot of sense for the Suns, and I understand why a Suns fan would be it would be interested in him. Mm-hmm. But he, for me, he flunks two sort of tests. The first one is the is the dude good at basketball tests, and I'm just not sure that he's good at the actual game. I know he shoots well. I know he can like play defense, and the guys in front of him. I'm just not sure he's he feels the game very well. Yeah. I, I I just don't see that with him, and I I see that more with Kobe White actually. And I I love Kobe White's personality. I think that he is somebody who will succeed sort of independent from the team he's on if he's going to succeed. He's just somebody who's going to come on the, the, the court and just you know be electric right away. So from that standpoint, I think – I wish you – here's what I'd say. I wish you could put Kobe White's personality in DeAndre Hunter's body, I guess, and that would make you really happy. <laughs> I, we need somebody like that you know, who's just going to bring it. And I think that's why I like Brandon Clark so much because I think that is kind of what that is. Uh, Brandon yeah. Clark is just more – he's just going to bring it. He's just going to be there. He's just going to go. I, I kind of think they're almost like a combination in a lot of ways. Um, and, that's, and that's why somebody asked the other day on Twitter. He asked me directly, and then and you jumped in and answered, uh, about you know if we're looking for ready-made guys, ready to contribute now, why would you rather have DeAndre Hunter than, than Brandon Clark if, if DeAndre Hunter has the more NBA-ready skills? Mm-hmm. And my pushback on that would be I just, I just kind of reject the premise. I think Brandon Clark is, is just better than DeAndre Hunter is right now by a lot. And I understand that there are tra- translation issues for Clark because Clark, you know, he's he's measured didn't measured pretty well. He's not going to play the five right away for sure. Um, but he's just good at basketball and he's super athletic. I think he's going to be better right away. So I, I actually just don't think that's right. And uh, and well, Hunter, I think, is maybe getting a little overrated with his translation because his shooting was so good in college. But I think it's worth noting, you know, he didn't take any NBA threes really. Uh, yep. I don't know if he's going to be a great shooter right away like others think. And if his feel problems kind of, you know, uh, they show themselves, they manifest in the NBA, I think there might be more of a, a, tra- a transition period for him than people expect. So that's kind of my response to that. What do you think about all that? Yeah, I think he has just as many translation issues as someone like Brandon Clark when you look at him as a prospect. You know, he's seen as the safe pick, the high floor, low ceiling guy, which he definitely is. He, he can definitely come in and be that 3 and D guy for you straight away. But the question is, do you want to take a guy like that at number six, even in a relatively weak draft? You know, I'm already excited for our reaction pod, Max, because I think... <laughs> who the Suns take is going to be, you know, we, we don't get a lot out of James Jones, but it's going to be a, a little window into how he views this team and how close it is. You know, I mm. wouldn't be taking a guy like Hunter to just come in and, and be a role player because, you know, this number six pick might be one of the last chances you get to hit big on a dynamic guy like Clark or Culver or Kobe White. I just don't think Hunter has any chance at being a high impactful dynamic guy. He has a great chance at being a role player, but I'm not sure the Suns need a role player. So I'm gonna I'm gonna love Hunter for certain teams um, that pick him that he can just slot in and and do that job. But you know I've noted it a number of times he really lacks shake on the perimeter. So mm-hmm. for his size, you're gonna have to want to be pretty sure that he can be a pretty much an exclusive small ball four in the NBA because he's got really no creation skills. As you said before, doubling down on that, he has a real, you know, lack of feel for the game. And, you know, even the three, as you said, NBA range is a different thing to college players. And I nicknamed him Gatherer quite a while ago, you know, as Hunter Gatherer because his defense, (laughs) whilst not overly impactful, he does, 
you know, gather guys up and, and stay in front of guys. But, you know, the shot is really slow. And, you know, we saw that ridiculously huge highlight from Zion where he came from the other side of the court to block his shot. And, you know, that was in part, you know, maybe one-third Zion's freak athleticism, one-third a bad pass by the player out of the post. But it was also one-third Hunter taking an extremely long time (laughs) to get that three off. And that's what he does on pretty much every shot. So he's a very reliable open three-point shooter and, and probably can be in the NBA. But yeah, he just really lacks those dynamic skills and and that's the worry for me taking a guy like that this high in the draft over as you said even a guy like Kobe White I think I'd be even with my you know judgments there on what that would mean for the team I think they can do it the right way with Kobe get Gambo tease this of all people he said they'd probably still take a vet point guard and, and wouldn't throw Kobe to the wolves there and you know that would be suited to him down to the ground coming off as kind of the the sixth man I suppose instant offense for this team I guess my concern with Kobe there is I'm not sure he can ever uh go past that and be more than mm-hmm. that impact six man in the NBA he would have to develop considerably as a playmaker and floor general. So, you know, we mentioned Steve Blake at the top there. He's going to be an assistant uh, on this team and and was a great facilitating point guard in the NBA. So, you know, maybe they can do some work with whoever they choose uh, on that end here. But yeah, that's kind of how it wraps up for me. Uh, And people have heard me say more than enough about Jarrett Culver. So uh, yeah, some more thoughts on White and Hunter there for you. And I'd probably just end it by saying we're not really talking about Reddish here because he would probably be the biggest surprise for me uh, that the Suns took at number six. I, I don't know if that's the same for you. I Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think the Suns are interested in Cam Reddish, just very much because he's just, he's just not going to be able to be ready to contribute at all right away, just in, in, to any extent. They can exactly. talk themselves into any of the other guys doing that right away. Hunter's very easy to talk yourself into. Kobe White in a backup role makes a lot of sense in that way. Culver, obviously. Clark. But there's really just no way you can imagine... Uh, Cam Reddish contributing right away. He's, he was terrible, terrible in college last year. Awful. Yep. Under 40% from two. He That's just so bad. You, you can't imagine him being good right away. And then so I want to go to White, one more thing on White, and then we can move on maybe to our, our, our mock drafts and our big boards. Mm-hmm. I think the reason why I've I, – I, I disagree with you a little bit on one thing, and that's that you can tell totally what James Jones is thinking by the pick. And here's here's the only reason why I say that. If James Jones agrees with me and others and you and pretty much everybody that this draft just kind of sucks, and he's like, they're at number six and, you know, Culver's gone already and say, you know, somebody else they really liked was at five and gone already or whatever. And they're at six and they're just kind of like, man, we're trying to trade back. No one wants to trade up on this to this pick. We, we're just going to take Kobe White because he's our favorite guy. We know we're not ready for a point guard yet. He's definitely only a backup role. That's all we're envisioning here. We're going to get a different point guard. But it's just like, we don't like anybody else. We have to take him. I do think that's a realistic possibility, and then it, it'd be too hard. To, I wouldn't want to read too much into like they don't understand what they're doing if that's what they do. That that's a, a very fair point and a great point by you, and and probably sums up you know a lot of the discussions we're all having on Twitter and various places at the moment is we can speculate on what we know, but at the end of the day, we don't have every single bit of information, and therefore can't have conclusive takes on a lot of this stuff at least not right away but yeah i'm just looking into that window from the the pick that they make mm-hmm. here and, and hoping that i agree with the philosophy on the guy that they take hopefully it's a trade back for clark because i think they could really nail a need 
whilst getting a guy like Clark in, in his valued range. So that's what I'm almost hoping for other than Culver slipping, which is probably even less of a chance at this point. So that's me putting it on the line for, for this draft, Max. And um, yeah, we should jump into our big boards and, and mock drafts here, I think. Yeah, let's do it. So let's start. I'll start with my board and then you can do your board and your mock and then I'll finish my mock. How about that? Sure. Done. Okay. So my board, uh, this is for the Suns, by the way, because I think that once you get past the top three, at least for me, it's, it, it could be, it, what depending on what team you are, it could be a lot of different orders, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But uh, for the Suns, I have, I have Zion, obviously, clear number one. Uh, although I've now moved RJ ahead, Brandon Clark, uh, for, you know, just in general, I have in the same tier, and I would actually take Clark over Barrett for the Suns. So I still have yep. Clark above Barrett for the Suns. Uh, I have Jarrett Culver by himself for the Suns. I've decided I think he's for his fourth. I just think he's the safest. Um, makes the most sense with the fit for the team. Mm-hmm. And then I have uh, the group of the three point guards next. And it's just like, man, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> At this point for the Suns, I, I guess I'd probably, I guess I'd go Garland. One, just I, I believe in his shooting the most of any of these guys. And that makes sense with Booker to an extent. But I don't know. A Kobe White off the bench makes more sense next year than anything just for next year. And then John yep. Morant, I guess, is the highest upside. So I don't know, man. I just can't decide. And then another group of three I have after that, DeAndre Hunter, Grant Williams, and Tyler Hero, I have now added. Whoa. And those three are just like guys I see playing roles right away. And I get why, you know, you get them in to play a role. And that's, so I have those three as a cluster. So that's my weird board for the Suns. Interesting. We, we differ quite a bit, but the philosophy in, in kind of shaking out a top 10 is, is pretty similar here. So I've got Zion, obviously, number one in his own tier. I've got Culver, number two. I've flirted with the idea of putting him in his own tier, but I've just stuck with putting him in a tier with RJ at three, Clark at four, okay. and Morant at five. I think Culver's clearly my favorite there, but they're, they're really bunched up for me there talent-wise and, and what I expect them to eventually be in the NBA. Uh, as I mentioned before, Garland and White are in a tier together and, and pretty much inseparable for me. They could go either way. And I may still change my mind on that before the draft on Thursday. And then, like you, I've got a, a cluster of three pretty similar position players, I suppose, and, and that's Hunter at 8, Reddish at 9, and Grant Williams at number 10 uh, for my general big board. Where it differs is where I get to my mock draft here, so... Uh, I'll rattle it off, and then I guess you can jump in with where maybe you differ. So I've got Zion 1, Jar 2, RJ 3. The pick at the moment is the Pelicans, so I'm going to go with Culver at number 4. I actually think Reddish might go number 5 to Cleveland, because I've just got no read on what Hmm, they're going to do. I thought about that too. I didn't do it, but I definitely thought about that. Yeah, I think the point guards with Sexton makes things a little bit hard, and I could definitely see them taking Reddish at five. Uh, I've got White at six to Phoenix. I've got Garland at seven to Chicago. I think Atlanta will take Hunter at eight and Goja at ten. And this one is interesting, and it, it kind of matches up. I wanted to my one of my draft predictions is that Goja and uh, Siku Dimboya are both going to go in the top ten in this draft, and hmm. I'm slotting Siku at number nine purely because Washington have no GM at the moment. So I think I could envision a situation where you know maybe the international scouting department kind of takes the charge here at draft time, and and really you know. Uh, really batters the desk and, and kind of 
falls for their dude here. And, you know, they also haven't worked out anyone in their range, as far as I know. So I could see them reaching for a guy like Dumboya at number nine. Where do you differ there, Max? This is absolutely hilarious because I have trades all over the place, but at the end of the day, we end up with the exact, the exact same picks going the same places. Not exactly, <laughs> but, but very close. You're going to laugh. So here, here's mine. So I have Pelican Zion, uh, Memphis Morant, New York, RJ. I have Chicago trading up to four with New Orleans to get Garland using a first mm-hmm. uh, tra- a future protected first to do it. So we both have the same with Garland except we're just going different places in, in the draft. I have Cleveland taking Culver yep. to break your heart at five. Because uh, I just think massive, yep. the, the maximum amount of breaking your heart makes sense to me. I can see that happening. <laughs> I then if have he's Atlanta. there at five, he's gone. He's gone. I think so. I think so. Uh, and then I have Atlanta trading up to six, actually, with Phoenix to get uh, Hunter. I've heard they really like Hunter. Uh, so they're trading 10 and 17 for six. Which, by the way, you have okay. Hunter going there, right? To Atlanta. Not that uh, fair, but to yes. Atlanta. Uh, yep. So yep. then I have New Orleans Pelicans in their trade back taking Kobe White. I then have Atlanta taking Reddish eight, so they've so they're putting DeAndre Hunter and Reddish together, which I think actually makes some sense going the upside and the safety together as mm-hmm. wings with uh, with Trey. And then I have Washington taking Sakuda Boya because of course we did the same thing there. <laughs> uh, same reasoning. I have no idea what the hell they're going to do, so why why not just take the guy with crazy upside possibly? They probably think he's Giannis. Yeah. Uh, and then I have Phoenix taking Brandon Clark at ten in a trade back, which you've discussed something you think could possibly happen. And with 17, I have Phoenix taking Tyler Hero just because I could see James Jones wanting the shooting up the bench. So it, your, your mock draft basically is is making Max very happy and David <laughs> very sad all in the all in one, and that's kind of what you're going with. Although you know, although Clark, you would be happier if Clark we got Clark at 10, right? It would it would save you salvage your night. I'd be happy if they took Clark at six. I'm happy to say yeah. it. I'm very realistic. I'm I'm happy to admit that it's very unlikely to happen which is why I think the trade back is the scenario. But in this draft, I'd just say fuck it and take Clark at six. Like I, I, I wouldn't try and get too cute with trading back. But yeah, funny that we've pretty much ended up in the same place there. I'm not sure if you've got any other draft predictions on the whole that you just want to get down on the airwaves to make sure you can pull back on them if they happen. But you know, I, I've got that the Pelicans won't pick at number four, I don't think. Uh, as I said before, Gozier and Saku will go in the top 10. Uh, I think Bol Bol could slide uh, and slide dramatically, maybe even to the early second round, which wow. would be interesting for the Suns if he's there at 32, which we might get into a couple of possibilities for the Suns at 32 in a minute. I think Garland could slide because I think if you look at the board at the moment, if Chicago, for whatever reason, didn't take him at seven, say they traded up to take Culver at four or something like that, you look at the rest of it, and who needs point guards, you could kind of see him sliding all the way to maybe 11 or something like that with Minnesota. So that's definitely something to watch. And I'm pretty set that the Charlotte Hornets are going to take Rui Hachimura. Oh, God, that's such a good prediction. Michael Jordan loves guys like that. who are like That's a Jordan pick. Yeah. That is a Jordan pick. Uh, I largely agree with a lot of your points there. I think that uh, for sure, I, I'd be shocked if New Orleans makes the pick at four. I don't think they have any interest in doing that. Um, I guess my other prediction, I really do think the Suns are going to trade their pick. I don't think they want a ticket six. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. going to be for a point guard or it's going to be a trade down or whatever. One thing I don't think it's going to be is trading up for DeAndre Hunter at four, which is a weird uh, rumor <laughs> that's, that, that started. But, uh, yeah. Don't for the that. cost of nothing. For the cost for the, of nothing. Yeah. Don't, that's usually don't the teams, too, right? They trade from four to six for nothing. Is, is, that, is that common? <laughs> yeah, we'll do you a favor, James Jones. I heard you're a good guy. But anyway... Um, 
And then my other thing is Bull Bull. I find that really interesting. I think Bull Bull will end up in Boston. I don't know with which pick because they have a lot of yep. picks. But I think yep. that's where he's going to go. One of them. Uh, they can afford the upside play there. And I think that would make a lot of sense for them. Um, oh, and the other prediction is if Brandon Clark slides, I will just be screaming at my TV. Uh, <laughs> how stupid these teams are. But uh, all right. I think that's it for the draft stuff. I have a couple more things for you if uh, unless you have a little more draft stuff. I just want to put Grant Williams and Cam Johnson on the radar for oh, yeah. pick 32. I think both of them will be gone by 32. But if they're there in the 20s, I'd seriously look at trying to trade up from 32 for one of those guys, maybe in conjunction with the deal that you made trading back from six to get an asset or something like that. Uh, or if they're, either of them are there at 32, I'm going to be the one yelling at my TV to take one of those two guys. They're older, uh, ready to go now, give valuable skills to the Suns right away. And I think that's the type of guy that James Jones is going to be looking at, Max. It would frustrate me more if Grant Williams was available at 32 and the Suns didn't take him than if they took Kobe White at 6 or whatever. That would frustrate me more because it's so obvious. Oh, 100%. 100% agree with that. So, all right, let's move on to D'Angelo Russell because he, as you mentioned earlier, has been the subject of a lot of interesting rumors. Um, yes. First of all, we got the reports you mentioned where it sounds like if they get Kyrie, which they're going to get Kyrie, it's <laughs> starting to seem like, uh, <laughs> yep. then D'Lo's out of there. Which is interesting. Uh, and then we got the competing reports from two luminaries, two just excellent news reporters. One was Gambo <laughs> saying that D'Lo wouldn't go to the Suns, not a fit, in Gambo's words. Uh, yeah. And then we had the great Jordan Clarkson reporting that he thinks that D'Lo will be going to Phoenix uh, in the wake of these uh, news reports. I must ask you, David, in this battle of Titan reporters, who are you taking? Do you, do you side with Gambo or do you side with Jordan Clarkson? I very rarely side with Gambo, as you know, and, and pretty much everyone listening probably knows. Haven't managed to get myself blocked yet, like you and a lot of listeners I'm unblocked have, now. I think you, you, you got unblocked thanks to, to someone asking on your behalf. But uh, I'm going to incite a rule here that I use for Gambo. If he is speaking more opinion, which I believe the tweet you're referring to with him saying not a fit was more of a opinion tweet rather than read like than an opinion, a... but he was asked why the Suns wouldn't be asked Dilo, and that's what he said. So while I yep. agree with you that it's probably only opinion, it still is, he, he, he kind of, in the context, made it like that was the reason. Yeah, and you know, I'll be the first to admit, as much as I get on Gambo, it's like, the reason he's saying things is always for a reason, and, and mm-hmm. he's kind of prepared to be wrong sometimes, because he's actually doing his job as a, a source or or leaking some information out for someone. So I'd find it really hard to to think that the Suns wouldn't be looking at it, particularly if he's renounced by the Nets. I think that they would. There's obviously some challenges in the way which we can get into, um, but I think they'd definitely be looking at it. Uh, there's two kind of questions at, at it for me, though. It's like, can the Suns afford to... I guess, go down that track with Russell either trying for him or eventually getting him and then being in another position with a book of best friend where if things don't go quite to plan or they can't land him or they cheap out, then it looks really bad to Devin Booker. And and probably the second thing I'd top on top of that, which is probably more important, is can the Suns afford to wait? So, you know, there's going to be at least a day or two that plays out here with, you know, Kyrie giving his commitment to Brooklyn, Brooklyn renouncing Russell because they're going to chase somebody else in free agency, the Suns getting a meeting with Russell, all those kind of things. Meanwhile, 
guys like Patrick Beverly, Ricky Rubio, etc., are sitting there. Other teams may have prioritized them and got in early. And then all of a sudden, the Suns could end up in a position where they don't get either plan A or plan B or C and really shoot themselves in the foot. So that's a question that I'd be asking myself in relation to D'Angelo Russell and the timing of things, Max. No, it's, it's a great point. And uh, competent NBA teams get around this by tampering mercilessly. <laughs> yes. I'm not sure if the Suns are uh, adept at tampering, especially, especially now that uh, James Jones, the GM, I don't he's been a GM before. I don't know if he's good at this yet. But what yep. the Suns should be doing is having Devin Booker talk to D'Angelo Russell, since they obviously probably text every day already, uh, and figure mm-hmm. out the likelihood of you know D'Lo's interest in them. Because uh, it's hard for me to believe if, if D'Lo is texting Booker, be like, "Yeah, I want to come there," and Booker's like, "All right, we're gonna get you here." Like, if that's all happening, then there's just no freaking way the Suns aren't interested in that. I, I just won't, yeah. oh, I won't believe it. If he mm-hmm. plays the position of their greatest need at point guard, he's best friends with their you know, with their franchise player, as we're talking about. He was at least a surface level nominal All Star last season. Like, he checks like every single box of superficiality of what you'd want. You know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. really hard for me to believe they wouldn't be interested in that. Uh, so I read this as a, as a couple of things. Either they're trying to use Gambo to misdirect here and you know you know get the rest of the league off the scent of what they're trying to do, or D'Angelo Russell's already told them maybe via Booker, maybe however else that he's not interested, and so they're just covering that up with we're not interested sort of thing. You know, so I, it's just it's hard for me to believe that what's actually going on here is that uh, D'Lo wants to come and they're not interested. I think that's like a zero percent probability. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I probably want to talk about a couple of money nerdy things here. The first one is sure. quite a lot of people have, have told me or asked me whether Russell would take less than the max to come to Phoenix because of that friendship factor with Devin Booker. My answer to that is this. I did a search on Twitter for what other fan bases are talking about offering a max contract to D'Angelo Russell in free agency as a realistic option for a position of need. And this is a small list that I came up with, and I'm sure there's more, Max. Chicago are really into it. Indiana is really into it. Utah fans are really into it. Dallas fans love the fit with Luka. New York are really interested in it as a plan B to their, I guess, big style options. And Boston is even talking about it as a fallback if things go horribly wrong and Kyrie Irving leaves. That would be my answer, is that maybe the friendship factor helps Phoenix get into the conversation and be the final factor, but I would not for a second be thinking that they can get him for anything less than the max when there's that many teams circling around offering similar contracts. And then for the max, you need 27.25 million max. The current situation for the Suns is $10.1 million by my cap sheet. So that is roughly $17 million. And I've seen a lot of people say that they can simply stretch Tyler Johnson and get there. That is not the case. That only gets you to about 24 at most. So there's still another move, whether it's pick six, Jackson, Warren. There's some sort of salary dump or trade where you're reliant on another team to help you out, even to get to the space. Obviously, renouncing Kelly Oubre would be another option if you just wanted to factor in things that the Suns have total control over. So that's an interesting thing, and and that's probably where I would leave my Russell thoughts for now, Max. Yep, we'll get... I mean, this is a preview of Nerdcast 2019, which is going to be our next podcast. (laughs) No, not next. Next, we're going to react to the draft, and then we're going to have Nerdcast 2019. Uh, you and I are going to do free agent preview, and because of the cap implications this summer, it's it's going to be Nerdcast 2019. I'm excited for it. 
Yeah, and we'll have a lot more time then and if the Suns do have an offer out for Russell to have a podcast where we talk about the kind of on-court fit and, and all those fun things uh, which we can get excited about if it does look to be a possibility. And I'll save my three Tyler op- uh, Tyler Johnson options that the Suns might use in free agency for Nerdcast as well because that very much fits uh, the synopsis for a, a Nerdcast episode, Max. I can't wait. We should have like a 20 minute segment where we just explain like how all the cat machinations are going to work. And then if, if people don't want to <laughs> listen to that, they're not big nerds, they can just skip it. We'll, we'll warn them. But I, I'd like to get that all out there because I just find all this stuff fascinating. All the, the CBA avenues the Suns can possibly navigate this summer, including one option we I'm sure we'll discuss is staying over the cap. Yes. Um, with exception, which is interesting. I don't think people, a lot of people understand how all that works. So maybe we'll do all that, maybe not. That's just a random thought I just had. But David, before we get to seven seconds or less, I have one more random thing for you. Are you ready for this? Let's do it. I've, for some reason, it's ever since that fake Blake Griffin, Trey Young thing that happened on Twitter. I don't know if you saw that go down. <laughs> but, yes, uh, yes. I've become obsessed with the Phoenix Suns trading for Blake Griffin now. I, I, I know I understand it's unlikely. I don't even think Detroit would be interested in trading Blake Griffin at the moment, although I think eventually they will because they're not going anywhere. But yep. uh, I, I took a look at Blake's stats in the context of this, and did you realize he hit 36% of his threes on seven attempts last season, David? I did. That's really good. 5.4 assists per game. Those are like really good. Guy you want with eight numbers, I would say. What do you think about that? I love Blake Griffin, along with Paul George. He's probably one of my favorite players in the league to have watched since they came into the league. Uh, I think uh, the teams that he plays on and and those assists that you mentioned and being able to play through Blake Griffin, uh, it reduces the need at point guard for the Suns when you've got a guy like Devin Booker as well. So that's a really interesting wrinkle to adding a guy like Blake Griffin. Um, unfortunately, I, I hate his health and contract. And if those two things weren't a factor, I'd be all in. But it really comes down to, I guess, what it takes with Blake. But yeah, I think it's a great point in terms of the, the archetype that you would love next to a guy like DeAndre Ayton. And by no means am I making this as a, a straight comparison, Max. But someone asked me about it a couple of days ago, which kind of got me thinking. Brandon Clark is not Blake Griffin. But in terms of his style around the ring, his kind of finishing in the paint, if he does, I guess, develop a three-point shot, it's going to go very similar to someone like Blake Griffin, who was a a non-shooter from three, uh, a non-shooter really overall. He was all athleticism coming out of college and picked at number one for that reason. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that you're hoping for with Brandon Clark, and and it can be done. Blake Griffin is testament to that. Um, And, you know, his overall impact... Uh, and athleticism on the court is where, you know, a comparison to Brandon Clark can be made. I made the point that he's probably more impact on defense, uh, whereas Blake is more impact on offense. And again, not a very clean, straight comparison by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, for peop- for two people that are very high on Brandon Clark and his overall athleticism, uh, Blake's a, a, a guy that you can bring into that conversation, I think, Max. Yeah, people are going to scoff at that. And listen, it, it's very unlikely Brendan Clark will ever be as good as uh, Blake Griffin in large part yes, of Blake make skill level. Yes, make that very clear, please. <laughs> yeah, more likely because of his skill level than anything. But I think people will scoff athletically first because Blake was such a freak coming into the league. But I, I think those people don't understand how much of a freak uh, Brendan Clark is. He's a 99% mm-hmm. tile athlete as a power forward by all measures. Yep. He's, he's a freak 
of an athlete. So that, that part of the comparison holds up, I think, pretty well. And I think the other point that you just made, that the defense the, the defense really, I think, would be the, really the turn in the punch bowl with a Blake trade here. Because Blake has really kind of always been an overrated defender because of his highlight plays, first of all. But also, he's a, you know <laughs> worse now than he really has been in the past. I think yes. that would be the problem with, a, with an Aiton, uh, Blake Griffin front court is the defense wouldn't be as good. Uh, but Brandon Clark, I think, like, like you made the point, I think he might be more of an impact player on that end. He's a smarter defender than Blake by a lot that he ever was. Um, better timing, just all, all the stuff you want on defense. Uh, but I do want to get real quick back to the contract point you made because while I, I, I thought I agreed with it, I looked up his contract – and it's really not as bad as I remember it being. Because it, I think it's because we're we're still sometimes think of it, you know, back when it was signed. But it's mm-hmm. you know we've had two or three years since then now. So now all we've got is we got thirty four million next year in his upcoming age thirty season. He's only age thirty season next year. He's not that old. Yeah. Then the year after that thirty six point five, and then the year after that is a thirty eight point nine player option, and then it's done. And that's his age thirty two season. So that's really not like it's not like you're paying this guy until he's thirty five here. It's that's kind of doable. What do you what do you think about that? If the health stacks up, I'm happy to pay that money right, yeah. for sure. That's that's the query for me. It's the two kind of in conjunction with each other. The health, you know, we saw him playing on a busted knee for Detroit in the last two games of their playoff series because he, you know, wanted to get on the court. But up until then, he'd missed some pretty key games and things going down the stretch. So you know, and that seems to be a a pretty. Uh, you know, reoccurring thing for Blake Griffin, shall I say. So that would be the only concern. But yeah, other than that, you know, when you think about it in theory and if you're going to get 60, 65 games out of him every year, you know, I I do love the fit, but kind of reversing back to Brandon Clark there again, I'm very much on record in that I think, and I believe the Suns are going to have all the points that they need out of Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton going forward as the core, and and therefore uh, I'm hoping the Suns prioritize defense a little bit more. And as you said, Blake Griffin has has kind of slid on that end as his career's gone on. Yeah, I think Blake Griffin is somebody I'd make an exception for just because he's so good on offense. But totally agree. Generally, they should be looking uh, at defense. So the last thing I want to do on this, and then we can go to seven seconds or less, is just what you'd be willing to give up for Blake Griffin. So yep. in terms of making the money work, assuming this trade happened now. You, you have to include Tyler Johnson. Yes. Uh, it's basically the only way. Then, and then you either make a decision, you either include TJ Warren, who I think if Detroit was making this trade, they wouldn't be interested in because they'd be just trying to clear their salary cap entirely. Uh-huh. So I, I think what you'd probably re- actually include, and I, I look this up, it barely works under the 125% rule. But if you do Tyler, Josh Jackson, and then like a Kobo, that gets you there barely. And then you, I think you have to probably include a pick, maybe the sixth pick. Is that enough value for Blake Griffin? If you, if you assuming you're you're clearing out uh, the Detroit's cap problems, it's enough value for me to do the deal. <laughs> whether yeah. Jeff, uh, sorry, whether Jeff Bauer agrees to it and and Detroit can do a deal with their ex employee, I'm not too sure. But I think you added the context there of of why Detroit would be doing the deal, and that's why it's not going to get into the realm of you know, an Anthony Davis type deal where you have to give up multiple first round picks or anything like that because Detroit would be getting off Blake Griffin because they've decided that the health is a huge concern and they essentially want to rebuild and retool around a, a younger core and, and clear salary out. So you're giving a few things there that they would need. That's where if the Suns can hold on to the Tyler Johnson contract, it may actually become valuable this season mm-hmm. and maybe towards the deadline for a superstar. 
um, which is one reason, you know, there's many reasons I don't like the wave and stretch option, mainly because it's just dead money on your books for three years. But another reason is that it is actually a valuable trade asset if the Suns can manage to hold on to it with Tyler Johnson. Um, but yeah, I think one pick, if it's the six pick in this draft, uh, yeah, as I said, I would I would probably do it because I think the Suns need to, to take a swing like that at some point for what is relatively low risk, I would say, Max. Yeah, I think so. It's not that long of a contract, really. And if you have Booker, Aiton, and Blake Griffin next year, Mikel still, Uber you can bring back. Like, you know, in this weekend West, this weird hodgepodge of a, of a, of a conference now, maybe you're making the playoffs with that. It's, it's, it's definitely possible. Uh, and if the Suns can make the playoffs somehow next year, that would be, I mean, that would just go so far towards their team building. Sort of obvious to say that. Let's jump to seven seconds or less, I think, Max. Yep, let's do it. I'm ready. All right, question one. If you had to guess right now, how many combined rookies and second-year guys will be on the opening day roster for the Suns? I'll give you them all. There's obviously pick six and 32. Then there's going to be Aiton, Mikhail, Melton, Okobo, uh, Spalding's non-guaranteed at the moment, and maybe George King would be coming back. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's eight maximum. How many? I think... Aiton, Mikel, Melton, and one person from this draft. I'm not sure where from because a trade will happen. Will be on the route. I think it's a four. I think they're really okay. going to cut that cut that down. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. It's it's why I asked the question. I think we're still going to see a lot of turnover here, whether it's in a big trade where they all get thrown in, or you know maybe some little trades to move up and down the draft or something like that. But yeah, I think just wanted to ask that because I think Suns fans should be very prepared for that happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but question two, if you had to bet your life on one currently contracted guy being traded between right now, draft night, all the way up until July 10 when free agency kind of kicks off, who would that be, Max? Between Josh Jackson and TJ Warren, I will say Josh Jackson because I think he's a little easier to trade. Yep, I'm with you on that one. And number three, a fun one. You've done a bit of scouting. I've done a bit of scouting. We know a lot about these players' games on the court, a little bit about them off the court as well, Max. So with what you know about these rookies, who's going to be the worst-dressed and best-dressed on draft night based purely on what you know about them and their games, Max? Well, that's hilarious. Uh, I have definitely have not given any thought to this before. I'm going to say <laughs> worst-dressed. I think Zion's going to go for something uh, misguided. He seems like a really like you know kind of a basic guy, I guess. I don't think he's really into fashion, and he's gonna try to go like all out for this, and it's not gonna work. That's that's my prediction for that. Uh, In terms of good, man, that's Cam Reddish seems like a guy who cleans up nice. I'll go with him. (laughs) Yep. I'm with you on that. I think, yeah, Zion might invoke the, the Anthony Davis rule when he wore that uh, That's All Folks t-shirt that, you know, <laughs> oh, so, someone someone just puts stuff out of my bed and I put it on. I don't even think about it. So that might be his excuse, I think. <laughs> I love that. First, we had uh, my social media account got hacked and now we have my, my wardrobe got hacked. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that is it for us. Please, as always, rate, review, and subscribe. We really appreciate it. You can follow me at MaxMCC11. You can follow David at The Four Point Play on Twitter. David, this was fun. This is a good 50th episode. It was like kind of like going back to our roots here. Just a conversation you and I. It was, and something we've been promising to do for a while, but I want to give a shout-out here to 
Uh, three guys who gave us reviews in the month of May. Uh, Phoenix Rise, who said, Not a boring listen. Been listening since last offseason. These guys are my favorite. You learn a lot about the history of the Suns by listening to Nash's fun facts. Keep it up. Uh, Arju said, hands down the best Suns podcast, been loving their draft preview stuff, so thank you to Arju. And Jad said, great analysis on the Monty Williams hire, keep it up guys. So they were some episodes of, of last month that we did that people reviewed, and as you said, we really appreciate the reviews from anyone. We'll continue to give shout outs for anybody who does. We're up to 66 five stars in the US and, and 17 in Australia where I am, so keep giving us five stars. Keep giving us reviews on these episodes because it helps us work out what people want to listen to as well, Max, and not long until the draft I'm taking the day off, as I said earlier, I do every year, which means we will probably have a reaction episode unless things go horribly wrong for the Suns, and I'm looking forward to talking to you again in just a few days, Max. I think we should have a, uh, a draft reaction, especially if things go horribly wrong. I think that's the most <laughs> fun thing to listen to. Yeah. People love uh, that stuff. Yeah, then we'll, then we'll get a review. Love love the reaction pod, listening to Max and David crying on air for an hour. Uh, give us more of those, please. <laughs> they are they just they love to hear us uh, in pain. Uh, one last thing I want to get to before we go off. Uh, we mentioned 50th episode. We mentioned earlier uh, this is beyond anything we ever thought. We thought no one would listen. We thought we'd have like 20 listeners our first episode. Uh, it's more than that, and now it's even more, and we really appreciate it. Thank you all so much for listening. It's, it's awesome. It's so fun. Makes it easy to do this every week to, to know people who want to listen to us and to have the listenership we do. It's it's great. Yeah, I can't say much more than that, other than you know we started this to you know be two guys that jumped on a phone call essentially and, and talked about the Suns, and we're still trying to stick to that kind of premise for the show, and it, it, it's just awesome that people uh, tune in to our phone calls essentially, Max, and listen and play along and ask us questions and. As I said earlier in the episode, the, the listenership has grown over the course of 50 episodes, and, and that makes it very easy for us to keep doing it. Yep, it absolutely does. It's nice reinforcement. So that's all we want to say. Thanks again, guys. I uh, appreciate it, and we will speak to you later this week.